0: Taking a break from yours truly, Dr. Bruce, I now give to you a vital new teaching from Dr. R.P. Kaushik. You may have heard Dr. Kaushik in previous Levity Zone episodes, and he is one of the few outside voices that I regularly include in this podcast, which is, after all, a kind of public diary for me. I discovered Dr. Kaushik when I was gifted a set of audio files digitized from old cassette tapes. These came through a friend in Ojai, Thomas Manning, who sadly lost his life in Panama just last year. I was taken aback by the simple profundity of Dr. Kaushik's insights and teachings, and, with the permission of his son, Manav Kaushik, a film director from India, I released all of these raw recordings onto the internet. And began producing them as podcasts. As I grow older, and perhaps wiser, or at least more interested in the human condition and my own conditioned self, Dr. Kaushik's wisdom becomes more and more of a guide. I consider him to be one of my greatest teachers, although I never met him, and he died back in 1981 after making only a few speaking tours of the West. While his contemporaries like J. Krishnamurti drew huge audiences and built organizations, the doctor never actively sought followers, resisted putting his insights down in books, and never grasped for notoriety. Once obscure, his voice is now streaming through 21st century cyberspace, providing a few listeners a clear and pure set of insights for how to live more peacefully and how to awaken to a connection with the energy of the cosmos. Above all, he guides us step by step into how to free oneself from the tricky ways of the mind, or rather, the thoughts that arise as a limit to mind and spirit. This happens to be the subject of this episode, in which the doctor takes us on a subtle flow through what mind is and does in all of its disguises, some of which may surprise you. A conditioned or limited mind is another word for the me, or ego, or the old standby, self-centeredness. He next spontaneously proposes a sort of litmus test to track and free from conditioned mind. Amazingly, this can come through triggered states of anger. To give you a preview, if someone should suddenly shout at you, someone who you think should be sane rather than insane, you may be triggered into a state of anger. The doctor asks us to observe what happens after the normal biological shock of the encounter passes. Does mind then activate and start to use thoughts to analyze, to question and to start to compare and criticize? What if instead we simply let the shock and the following reaction pass? we would then have the chance to advance to a glimpse or a full experience of the stillness, the peace that may open to the awakened state. Awakening, he explains, is awareness coming from the source of a peaceful mind, now no longer identified with the little me, but instead dwelling within and flowing from a great universal intelligence. We can then operate from the most intelligent viewpoint of all, the choiceless acceptance of what is.
1: First of all, before we begin this communication today, it's important again for me to remind you, it's not a sort of a lecture in which a speaker speaks something and the audience is supposed to gather it as information or accumulate it. We want to explore together this evening, if it is possible to change the human mind at all or if the human mind has to continue in its old pattern of behavior. So you'll have to examine your own mind, your own thinking process when you're listening to me. You'll have to examine your own life and then it will have a meaning, then it will have some substance, and then we can proceed further. But if you are listening to me only, looking for some new solution, looking for some new ideology, then it's only a communication on the intellectual level. And we cannot have this communication unless we can go beyond the intellectual barrier. This will be only possible when you can use my words to look and have a peep in your own life and have a peep into your own mind. That is possible for us to understand the important subject of today's discussion. Now, if you look around, you can see very clearly that there is so much violence. Conflict and chaos in the world outside. Everywhere. Not in one particular country, but almost everywhere. In the Far East, Middle East, in the West. Wherever you go, there is one problem or the other. Conflict in the East, in Bangladesh, in India, in Lebanon, in Ireland, in America, where there is a racial problem may not be big, but it's there, the conflict is there, the violence is there and when you are walking on the street in New York or San Francisco, you never feel safe or secure because there is not only a crime for some motive, there is sometimes crime without motive, just some people are crazy and they have a gun. Nobody seems to be secure and safe and then with all this affluence, the inflation, declining standards of living and we do not know what comes next. In looking at this world outside, when you look within and see your own relationship, your own relationship at home, with your wife, with your husband, with your parents, with your children, what do you discover, what do you find? You find there is no relationship. The father is frightened of the son. The mother is frightened of the daughter. And vice versa. There is fear in family life. And about educational standards, you could see. I was reading in a paper in San Francisco the high school graduates, after 12 years of schooling, can neither read nor write nor compute. After 12 years of schooling, so what's coming about and what might happen in next 10, 20 years, we do not know. But the seeds of restrictions are there; they are visible. Seeing this, I ask a question: Is there a way out for the problems of the world, problems of the family, and my own personal problems? We have experimented with many. Ideas and ideologies. We have experimented with Christianity, Buddhism, Sufism, Vedanta, Yoga, Zen, and latest systems of meditation. And having tried all this, where do we stand? Where do we arrive at? If you look to the teachers and their ashrams and their center. There is violence in the relationship between guru and the disciple. It may not be apparent in the lifetime, but the moment the guru dies, this conflict must the disciples for succession. And when this fight is going on, when this conflict is going on, in the so-called spiritual camps, who is learning what? And with all these ashrams and gurus, the search for more disciples, the search to establish more ashrams have greater following and when that does not come about the frustration that follows and even if it all succeeds has the Guru gone beyond this search for power or accumulation. That accumulation may be material That accumulation might be so-called spiritual. The basis of greed is accumulation, whenever you want to accumulate, you are greedy. Man in the material world, when he is accumulating wealth, property and outward riches, he is greedy. But what about a man who is accumulating spiritual experiences? who is accumulating spiritual knowledge and a man who is not spiritual but hopes to be spiritual through a discipline. A man who is not honest, loving and gentle, hopes to be loving and gentle through a discipline after six months or six years. Is it not form of greed also? Whether you accumulate the worldly riches or you accumulate psychological knowledge or psychological experiences, the question is who is the accumulator? Without a center, no accumulation is possible. Without the basis of me, the ego, accumulation is not possible. Whether you are accumulating on the material level or you are accumulating on spiritual level. And if there is an accumulation around the center which you call me, is it a spiritual evolution at all? Is it a spiritual movement at all? Or is it a fattening of the ego in a different direction? Or is it just simple self expansion? So, any movement from here to there is accumulation. There is no accumulation in the present. You need time to accumulate. And any movement that takes place from here to there, bring about this accumulation and bring about this strengthening of the means, strengthening of the self. And through the pursuit of these disciplines or techniques in time, could you ever become spiritual? Could you ever really become virtuous? Can virtue be practiced? Can virtue be accumulated? I am virtuous, can I be more virtuous than I am? If I am not virtuous, can I be really virtuous if I am not virtuous? In time, through the process of a practice. So wherever there is time, there is greed and accumulation and strengthening of the self, not ending of the self. So when you look at the movement of the mind and see very clearly that any movement of the mind in time which implies accumulation is denial of spirituality, is denial of virtue. Then what takes place? The moment you see it very clearly, there is no more accumulation. There is no more search for spiritual experiences. And a mind which is not searching and looking for spiritual experiences, and a mind which is not trying to be spiritual, trying to become spiritual, it has seen the futility of all projections, every form of ambition, including spiritual ambition. What is the state of such a mind? A mind sees, which sees the futility of ambition, not worldly ambition or material ambition, spiritual ambition, is no longer seeking or searching in future. What is the state of such a mind? Isn't it very still and calm? And if the mind is still and calm, it is holy. The mind which is still and calm is looking. It is whole is no longer divided. It is quiet and silent. And a mind which is looking cannot be destructive and violent. How do you become violent when you are not looking? How does violence take place? From where does violence come? This whole violence in the world, outside, from where does it come? All these wars and battles, from where does it come? If I look within myself and I see that I am not very spiritual, I don't know what spiritual is, but I am not very, I am very ordinary mediocre, having my anger, jealousy, hatred, so and so forth, I have all those limitations. And then I see that trying to run away from what is, is the denial of what is, is violence. I am angry and I say I must not be angry, I shall not be angry. What takes place? You suppress your anger. Where does the anger go? Does it run away or does it get pushed at the bottom? Does it get pushed into the unconscious? So if you are angry, you are angry. You can't say I will not be angry, I shall not be angry, I should not be angry. You can keep on saying I should not be angry. You may learn to smile, but deep down the anger is there. And so you can practice to keep on smiling, you can put up a very holy spiritual appearance, you can put up the mask of his constant smile, but deep down the violence is there, the anger is there. So when there is anger and you say, I must not be angry, I shall not be angry, I should not be angry, this movement from what is to what should be is violence. So violence begins within me first. Please pay a little attention to it. Look within yourself what happens when I am angry and I say I should not be angry. should not be angry is an ideal, is an image which I want to achieve. It is not effect. If I should not be angry, then I am not angry. It is finished, there is no problem. If the mind sees it must not be angry, it is not angry, there is no problem. But when it is angry and it says I must not be angry, I should not be angry, then this should not be is an ideal, which is not effect. That is your hope that you shall not be angry. You may not be angry after a few days of practicing. Then you try to practice love and affection. Can love and affection be practiced? We all believe that love and affection can be practiced. Virtue can be practiced. You can practice the image of virtue, you can practice the image of non-violence, but deep down the fact is violence. So when you are faced with the fact of violence, but you run away from it and say, I must not be angry, your denial of anger is violence to yourself. You are trying to manipulate your own psyche, superimpose one image over the fact of your anger you can suppress it and keep on suppressing it after 6 months or 6 years of constant battling with yourself you might be able to smile at all situations without getting angry but deep down the anger is there you may not feel it anymore because the mind has become so dull through the practice it may not feel it you can justify it you can reason it out but the anger is there so, in this movement, from what is to what should be, this movement is violence. Violence at your own self. I am not saying you are, if you are angry, you should keep on expressing your anger and start hitting people. I am not suggesting that. We come to that question, how to deal with anger. But first see this point that to run away from anger into opposite is not a solution, Is only the beginning of violence. And when you are suppressing yourself constantly, you are creating violence within yourself. And if you are a violent being, violent human being, you must be violent to your children, to your wife, your husband, your neighbour and everyone around. If that violence is in your heart, is in your psyche, how the people who are coming in contact with you are not going to be affected by that violence. Then you impose the same discipline on your children. The discipline which you are imposing upon yourself, you impose on your children. If you have your chance, you impose the same discipline on your husband or wife. And then, if you are a politician or dictator, you impose the same discipline on the people and then we create war and conflict outside. But the seed of violence is within the human psyche. And we have all contributed to this violent world. Each one of us living in this small isolated world where we are trying to be more virtuous, we are trying to be more spiritual, holier, we are creating this mischief all the time. So if you see that that running away from what is to what should be is violence, if not a solution. Then what's the solution? What's the solution to violence? Then when I look at my violence, when I get angry, if I shout at you, does it solve my problem? It doesn't solve solve my problem if I shout at you. Because if I shout at you, next day you may never come to my house. Next day you may never meet me. Then I isolate myself. Or, if you are even very nice and gentle, and you may still keep on coming to my house, and I shout at you, and you don't respond through aggression or shouting, Then I feel sorry, I feel guilty for having shouted at you because you are so nice. So, the moment I shout at you, the problem is not solved. There is a reaction again after my shouting. When you leave me, then I regret it.
0: If you don't leave me, you are kind and gentle, I regret
1: it. I feel guilty. And I have seen I can't suppress it also. If I suppress it, there is violence to within myself and I have expressed it, it is a violence to you. And you are not going to take this violence easily. You are going to hit back. The world is going to hit back. So when I cannot express my anger and I cannot suppress my anger, what am I going to do with my anger? When the mind sees that expression or indulgence is not the way, then you start questioning what is anger. Have you ever watched how you get angry? What takes place when anger begins? Have you ever watched yourself? Please watch yourself. When you are sitting here, I expect certain, certain thing from you. Certain code of conduct, certain code of behavior, certain response I expect from you right? And suddenly someone of you gets up and starts shouting at me for nothing. Then immediately what happens? Immediately you say something which I am not expecting, it shocks me. And out of the shock, the moment I recover out of the shock, then my mind starts moving. My mind starts thinking. Why? Why this person has to shout at me? I have been so nice. I have not said anything. I am being very sweet and gentle. Why people can't be gentle? And can you see this dialogue is starting with me. I am gentle, you are not gentle. I am good, you are not good. And the more and more I emphasize my goodness, more and more anger comes. So now, when you shout at me, There is a certain shock. And can I look through the shock? What is taking place? But instead of what is taking place, instead of looking at that, I react. I react through my thinking. That thinking is self centered. At the base of that thinking, I am a nice person and you are not a nice person. There won't be any thinking. If you are also nice and I am also nice, there is no problem. But when anger comes, I am nice and you are not being so nice as I am nice to you. So more and more I think, more and more I get angry. The question is, is this anger something organic, biological or is it the product of thinking? More and more you think, more and more angry you get. If you keep on thinking for two hours, you will be terribly angry. If you think only for a minute or so, then anger goes away. It depends how much you brood on this subject. So does the mind know really what anger is or does only it know what the reaction of the intellect is to this, what it calls anger? The real anger, which is biological, is only for a split second maybe. A shock state of shock, in which I could see why, why you are shouting at me. I am sitting here and I am talking to you, why are you shouting at me? And if I start looking, then I look immediately. Have I said anything which provokes you? And if I have not, why are you getting angry? The challenge is, are you in your senses? Are you balanced? You are not drunk? When I look at all this, and if you are drunk, I am not angry with you. And I also, if I find out that you are crazy, then I also get angry. Don't I get angry with you? If an insane person starts shouting at you, you never get angry. You only get angry when you expect an insane person to be sane. Is it clear? Once you know the person is insane and the person is shouting and calling you names, you never get angry. So if you could really look to the fact, what the fact is, there is no anger. The fact is that there is another image through which you want to respond. And when that response is not coming out of that frustration is anger. So when I look at the whole picture, when you are shouting at me, and you call me, well uh, in San Francisco when I was talking, in Sir George William University there one man he was sitting sitting at the back and I don't know whether he was listening or not and he said you may be also conditioned you are talking of unconditioned mind you may be conditioned how do you know that you are not conditioned what am I going to do if I have an image of myself as an unconditioned being there must be anger because I think I am unconditioned and you say, you are not, I am also conditioned in a different way. So when you don't accept me what I think I am, there is anger. So if I am living in this image that I am unconditioned, I am free, I am enlightened, and you come along and say, no, you are not enlightened, then I am hurt and then I am angry because I think from morning till evening, I am talking to people. People say, yeah, it's very fine. I think everything is fine. And out of that experience, I am building an image which is the image of an enlightened being. And if I have accepted that image, and you come along and say, you are not enlightened, you are not unconditioned, it's an anger. But when you say, I am not unconditioned, can I really look? What you are saying may be true, may not be true. So when you are saying something, can I just look whether it's true or not true? And what it means? Now one response is, in me that I say, look, I am quite unconditioned. I am a free being. I am enlightened. only—that only, That is only a response from an image, if that image is not there, then your statement makes me look and examine inside whether I am enlightened or I am not enlightened. And how do I find out that I am enlightened or not enlightened? How do I find out that I am conditioned or unconditioned? Is there a way to find out? You see, when I ask this question for myself, am I in condition? Who is going to answer inside? There is no one sitting inside who says, no, you are or you are not. Who is going to tell me? And if I compare myself with other people who are very responsible, who are very mechanical, and through that comparison, I say, look, no, As compared with these people, I am unconditioned. So is an unconditioned state a comparative state or an absolute state? If it is comparative state, it has no value because if you are enlightened in comparison to A, you may be totally unenlightened in comparison to B, there may be somebody who is more more enlightened. So if I compare myself with another, I am conditioned. A conditioned mind keeps on comparing. And if I don't compare, there is no answer. And when there is no answer, the mind is silent. So if the mind responds to this challenge, it is conditioned, through anger, through comparison. But if it looks at the challenge completely and totally, And does not respond to that through anger, does not respond through comparison, it's silent, it's free. So that one moment is giving me the opportunity to look within what is taking place and I push it away through anger, through my reaction. When I react to it violently, I am denying the possibility of perception. I can't look within myself then. So when the world says something to me, can I use those words to look within? Can I use those words as a as a torch of light focused within through which I can explore within? Then when people shout at me, get angry with me, maybe an opportunity for self-exploration. There is no more anger. Anger being only a response of a mind which does not want to find out and look. So the moment you start looking, the anger is no longer there. There is only a state of shock, a state of jerk in which the mind is compelled to look. And when you look, things are fine. There is no problem. So whenever I can look, there is no anger and there is no greed. So my question is not whether to get angry or not to get angry, to express my anger or suppress my anger or try to be loving and gentle when I am angry. My question is can I look at my anger, what that anger means? What are the implications of this anger? And whenever I look, there is freedom. And whenever I look, a change takes place. The mind has undergone a change. Whenever it can look. So only when the mind starts looking and stops being greedy, trying to change, and obviously it cannot change, it can only suppress itself. It can brutalize itself. Mind cannot change through effort, through struggle. Through effort or struggle, there is only conflict. It does not mean that mind should be sluggish or lazy. But this constant battle with myself, I am this and I must not be this. I am this and I should not be this. I am this and I should be something else. This constant battle, this constant struggle is conflict. And in this conflict, so much energy is wasted. So much violence is generated that you can never be a peaceful human being. But once you start looking at the implication of what is, what is undergoing a the change. Then there is transformation. Any questions?
2: Would you say something on the different kinds of anger, please? Because there is a righteous anger. When you see cruelty or something, the reaction, in that case, is natural anger. Spontaneous. Hmm? Spontaneous. Yes. Not only spontaneous, but it is not an anger which comes out of your ego or something, it is an anger which wants to stop something which you consider bad. You can't suppress that anger. You have to vent with it. But otherwise, is the other anger necessary? Why should there be anger? No,
1: you see, when somebody is walking absentmindedly on the road and a car is coming from the other side and you shout at that man, get out from here. It may be shouting, but it's not anger. Because without that pitch of the voice, the person is not going to listen, but he please get out then by the time you will be the car. <laughs> <laughs> so the question is when I am totally concerned with somebody.
2: Yes, that's not anger. anger. It's no. not anger. It's not anger. So what is anger? The anger is only when I am hit.
1: When me is concerned. When you say something which I don't like. Hmm. So the anger is only self-protection. But when I am not concerned, but I see that you are doing something destructive, and I feel concerned about you, oh, okay. and I point out, please don't be destructive. It's the different question with what tone I say. Perhaps I can make my tone more gentle, could be more communicative, may not be communicative, but there is no ill will, no feeling, and no self-protection. In that state, it's not anger at all, it's just concern. You may not listen to me. If you don't listen to me, I don't get further angry with you. But a response takes place. Out of a total self, total concern for you, not for self, not for me. And out of that, if you accept it or you don't accept it, it won't matter. But if, I, if it is anger and you don't listen to me, I get further angry with you then anger goes on. Then thinking comes in. Whenever there is thinking, thinking is always self-oriented. Then the whole process begins. So initially if I am not concerned about myself, if this response which is harsh in nature, is not coming out of self-concern. It may appear anger to you, it may appear anger to the world, but it is not anger.
2: Not anger. That's why I wonder, why should there be anger? I can't quite see the point where, why should there be anger in people? I heard the other day a case, a woman came here and she was a sister in a hospital and she said, I'm very angry today. A car ran at outside the hospital, ran into a young man, pushed him to the ground and his brain didn't stop, and his brain was damaged to many 31 years, and he's dying. And she said, "I am very angry." So to me, this is a, a, a I wouldn't call it. This is a righteous thing.
1: No, but you see, we are calling it anger. I won't call it anger. No,
2: I wouldn't call it anger. But why should there be anger? I just cannot quite no, understand you see, why the people are angry. Is,
1: when, when somebody is hitting somebody with a car and runs away irresponsibly, I'm sorry, I'm sorry for this state of affairs, that's all. But I'm not angry with the man who is has run away. When people are angry, they would lynch him. There are places where if they find somebody who does that, and the crowd will gather around and they will, will lynch the driver. No, unfortunately. No, no, I'm just saying, but there are certain areas, certain countries, yeah. it can happen. Uh, Calcutta, it can happen.
2: Oh.
1: But that is a mechanical mechanic. Yes, but the, uh, that it is the, uh, their own self-projection there. Mm. When they kill somebody, when violence is coming in, this is destructive. Then their anger, is not righteous anger, when mm. violence is coming. But in this case, when this lady says, I'm angry, perhaps it's a wrong use of words. Yeah. All I can say is, I'm very sorry for the state of affairs and the callousness of the world. And the question is, In this callousness, how do I respond? Am I still callous? If I am angry with the motorist, I am also callous. Because my anger is not solving any problem. The only problem is, out of that tremendous concern, what can I do in that situation?
0: Despite never having met him, and only hearing him on scratchy and fuzzy tapes from 40 years ago, I consider Dr. Kaushik to be one of my closest teachers, increasingly my guide as I seek to free myself from the incessant drive of thought swirling about in my mind, the complaints of the little me, and loosening the shackles of insecurity. All of the raw digitized files from this surviving library of Dr. Kaushik, which I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, are available at the Internet Archive under the collection called Dr. Bruce and the Levity Zone. Find a direct link to these files and other resources at the page for this podcast at www.levityzone.org. I will close today's podcast with the following quote from the doctor, as reported on the Facebook page of his son, Manav Kaushik. The individual mind has no limits, excepting those that thought sets up. Out of the totality of space, it carves out a limited space, smaller or bigger according to its quality, and through identification of its boundaries, sets up its limits, and then conflict begins of me and not me. Dr. R. P. Kaushik, September 6, 1980.